Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. Today, Dale and I are very happy to be joined by our good friend, Kyle, who I'll introduce a little bit more in a moment. Uh, just to give a little background here, this is the first time we uh, have ever had one of our regular listeners on the podcast, and this is because Kyle, pretty early, I'd say, in, in Dale and I's podcast journey, began corresponding with us, and over time, we found him to be uh, just such a, a wise and engaging listener, and also just had such a pile of insights of his own about things that Dale and I care, care about quite a lot. Uh, one of the things we've talked about a lot on our podcast is uh, the, the the challenge in the modern world of, of forming communities where people really see each other. Uh, you know, perhaps it could be said that in a lot of communal arrangements in the past, uh, uh, the, the very architecture of life, if you will, uh, is so involves so much mutual exposure. Uh, that there's a kind of vulnerability written into the written into the very uh, experience of things, whereas in our context, it's very easy to to really live unseen, to live a very isolated existence, and especially in modern kind of metropolitan urban contexts, uh, you know, not small towns, if you will. Uh, uh, in fact, building that kind of mutual exposure require strategy. It requires intentionality. You have to choose to some extent uh, a certain degree of vulnerability for that to go, you know, you know, for that to work. But maybe, maybe one of the challenges that that's worth mentioning as we try to reconceive what it, what a healthy mutual exposure and mutual vulnerability might look like uh, that's especially challenging, I think, in the world of men, and perhaps especially challenging in the in a world where men have perhaps for a few generations been trained to imagine that 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 masculinity is almost defined by being an isolated person in every man's home, his castle, bearing all his burdens alone and depending on nobody. Uh, whereas perhaps the more classical model is that men bear burdens for one another. And that precisely is what enables them to go bear the burdens of the world that they're called to. Uh, and so there's all these questions that come up because we haven't maybe had these spaces for a while. And so there's questions that come up about, you know, decorum, what, what's going too far, uh, what, what really is kind of like, okay, yeah, that's kind of weird. We don't need to go do that versus what is actually healthy. And it you know, it seems to to me that that Kyle is involved in a project in his own life and in his own community uh, that that is at least an instance of what it looks like, perhaps to build these kinds of relationships in a way that it sounds to me is very non-corny uh, and very helpful for men uh, a, a, and maybe a helpful, yeah, just a model to think about just community building in in, in the modern world in a, in a larger way. So I guess I'll Dale, before I, I can pass it straight to Kyle. Okay. So Kyle, yeah. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, what you do, you know, that, you know, sort of started this conversation. Yeah. So, you know, so in, in churches, and that's kind of the context that I've been doing this in, um, you know, you've got like your small groups and stuff where people are, you know, the, the goal is for people to be known, to spend time with each other and everything. But we were just noticing how, um, you know, that, that there was some deeper ways in which we weren't able to know each other, 
um, just for the sake of time and the space and everything that it it takes to to do that. And and so we uh, we we started going through some material um, and in these other groups that were sort of like um, supplemental to normal normal community life, um, just as a way of really spending more time, walled off time uh, together, and where we really had a place that was um, that was safe for for people to share things and not worry that they would be exposed for it. Uh, places where, you know, smaller groups of people, you could share, um, you know, very vulnerable things that you might not want to share in a group, of, a mixed audience where, you know, kids are around and it's mixed gendered and it's hard to, to share things. Um, and, and just coming together and spending a good deal more time with each other as well. So we would just come together like once a week and um, share our stories with each other for like, you know, just a few minutes and then just have times where we respond to each other and, and uh, encourage each other and ask hard questions to really dig in to understanding ourselves better and then ultimately to encourage each other uh, in the Lord. Yeah. I recently took uh, Jordan Peterson's personality test uh, on the big five personality traits that he's identified. Um, and um, I scored in the 99th percentile for openness. So if you're in a room of 100 people, chances are there's only one person that's more open than you. Dale's a hippie, as it turns yeah. out. Yeah. Well, and I say that to say that this conversation is something that I have been part of, maybe not in the sort of carefully thought through strategic way that you're thinking through it, Kyle, which is why we wanted to talk with you about it. But I've noticed that, especially like in the church world, what you just said there was uh, very helpful because I almost have a very hard time knowing when not to be open with people. Uh, so if it's like a mixed gendered or their kids around, I'll just share. Now, you know, I'm not sort of crass and I don't overshare, but I've always just had this posture towards people uh, because my thinking was, we're here in church. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We sin. We have very, very hard things that are going on in life. Let me tell you about it. Uh, and most of the conversations, particularly among men, revolve around like, this, you know, the Packers are playing at one today. They're playing the Seahawks. Can't wait to get home. Or, you know, this is how work was this week. These are the projects. So it was always sort of like um, a very... Uh, superficial approach to relationships. And especially in the church, I was like, we're here talking about cosmic things and things that go, you know, from the cosmos all the way down into the, the deepest, darkest recesses of human soul. Uh, it seems like our conversation should revolve around those things, at least in this space. Um, but I think that what you're saying is if you get people in in the right space um, with some pre presupposed principles that everyone is sort of aware of and agree to adopt as principles, mm -hmm. then it, we can open up lines of communication for genuine community, community building around our personal narratives of redemption. Um, so I laud you for the attempt to sort of formalize it and put structure to it. Uh, because as Joe said in the opening, we do have to be intentional in the modern age because we can choose. I can choose to wake up, get in my car that's inside of my garage, 
drive 30 minutes to my building, walk outside for one minute, go inside my cubicle for nine hours, get back into my car, drive into my garage and go back into my house. And I will have spent a total of 30 minutes really inter maybe interacting with another human that I'm not forced to. Um, so talk to us about number one, what does it look like in what you're doing? What are, if there are presupposed principles, what are they? And then what are you experiencing trying to do this project? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, uh, for like, so for me, my story is kind of important with this too. Like I came from, you know, your your cage stage Calvinist reformed kind of upbringing. And, and I think I scoffed at the ideas of, of the, the therapeutic kind of stuff and language bothered me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was kind of resistant when we first started going. I started, um, I joined with this thing at our church uh, probably eight years ago or something to help as a leader. Um, and I was kind of resistant to a lot of the, the sweet kind of encouragements towards God's love and empathizing mm -hmm. with each other and that kind of thing. It felt very like soft on sin, soft on God's holiness and and I realized in that process, like I was very, very unaware of myself and the things that were motivating me and the, the deep shame and insecurity that I had within me that made me sort of drawn and, and to that, that sort of mentality. And, mm -hmm. um, and it, it really just took me sitting in that for some time and then kind of just asking the hard questions like, you know, is, is god's love something that i should sort of poo poo on you know and it's like yeah. it's kind of ridiculous even to to think that and since then i've sort of like built a, a sort of like functional um arsenal i guess of, of different voices and for me personally like it took me me sitting in scripture more asking those kinds of questions it took me sitting and, and reading the old guys more like calvin i've got some quotes here um uh, from calvin um like on Ephesians three and Calvin literally says that God is, is saying in uh, through Ephesians three, where Paul talks about uh, his prayer for, for the church at, at Ephesus, that literally the, uh, the highest blessing and knowledge for us and wisdom that we can have. I mean, he's, he's almost hyperbolic in the way that he talks about it is to know God's love for us. And he no. just says it like that. And, and it's just kind of like, oh, wait a minute. That kind of challenges my my assumptions about what my focus should be as a Christian. And then, you know, Paul's prayer is for the the believing Ephesian church to grow in their understanding of God's love for them. And so it kind of it, it leads to the question of like, well, how does that actually happen? You know, how do how do we actually grow in understanding God's love for us? And I think so, sort of experientially for me and as I'm reading things like that, the pieces kind of started coming together that it really took other people around me being able to sort of mirror and reflect back to me um, mm. the reality of God's word in a way that would challenge my assumptions. And maybe, maybe every once in a while I would slip up and say something that was a little more honest. And I even realized the sort of like implicit theology that I had, um, mm -hmm. which was very shame driven it, it was very mixed with with anti-gospel sentiments and uh, and i was unaware of it i thought for sure that i was very reformed and everything so you know bonhoeffer's whole thing in um in community was just so powerful when i read it because i 
I had kind of already been experiencing this, but he says, and I know I'm ranting now, so I'm going to, uh, mm -hmm. no. <laughs> um, so, so Bonhoeffer, and it's interesting. He's talking about the, in the context here, um, about justification and our sort of ongoing, uh, perception and experience of our, of our present justification. And he says, therefore the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and a proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His mm. own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Mm. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's a, that's just beautiful. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, actually, that's a great segue to maybe something to, to ask you about, because one of the, one of the tensions I perceive in a, in a contemporary context, and I think there needs to be a lot of compassion for this, is that I see, you know, I understand, I think, I am, you know, there's types of men out there, you know, in the old days, you know, you could talk about like, you know, the girly girls and the tomboys, right? You know, but roughly speaking, there's, you know, your, your sensitive guys and your, you know, that kind of thing, your super masculine dudes. And it's true that there's a, there is a, there's something in a lot of men in, 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 in kind of, in kind of, um, modern church spaces they enter them and everybody's talking about empathy and the music is sentimental and the guys that get into it are not the guys with beards that look like this they don't look like dale typically one or two of them uh you know and so there's this perception that like oh you know only that kind of guy can get into that kind of thing i'm a dude and i'm you know and 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 there's values and things if i'm trying to believe and hope all things and try and put it in the most positive spin possible there's values and and burden bearing thought to be at stake in sort of just abandoning that that maybe internal emotional rigidity which is part of the way you you help the world <laughs> as well um and yet I, I wonder if one way to talk about this would actually be to say men need to men actually need to cultivate a profoundly robust emotional life mm. uh, precisely for the kind of gifts that they bring to that life for mm -hmm. the ordering for the direction so that and, and it, that that reminded me of it because again it's as though men coming together and bearing one another's burdens i know dale and i's marriages both of our wives have said to each of us how happy they are that dale and i exist uh, because we bear burdens for each other that our wives can't bear for us. And it mm -hmm. serves us going back into our marriages and homes to, to have our burdens borne by a brother and then by God himself, really. And it serves you to go press back into the home, into the community. And I wonder if one way of kind of pitch, uh, 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 drawing men to this sort of thing uh, is to say that, hey, actually tapping into those, going, having the courage, in a sense, mm -hmm. uh, the fortitude to tap into those deepest things and actually endure them, to really endure the emotional discomfort mm -hmm. of seeing yourself, of being seen, mm -hmm. of seeing others, uh, uh, so that actually you can re, so that you can, uh, in a way, 
inhabit your own story of redemption and actually come to a greater orderedness so that you can go back and actually execute a lot of the things that you do care about, a lot, your impulse to go fight a battle. But this will actually help you know which battle to fight. <laughs> this will yes. direct your sword, not from the gut, but actually from the head. Uh, uh, but but yes. maybe that leads to the question of, um, maybe that leads to the question of, um, oh, oh, by the way, one last thing. If we don't do it, I, I often think that if, if if men become the calloused ones to the cries out in the street, then it will be the world of women that feels the need to bear the entire burden of the suffering of this world. And yeah. that's actually to abandon our burden bearing calling. Uh, 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 you know, and I, and I think that- which could, be, which could be defined as effeminate. I mean, if you use Aquinas, um, you know, if you run away from that which is good, if you abandon that which is good because of your um, desire, then that is effeminacy. Uh, and if this is a good project and this pushes people towards the good and you run away from it because of an ill-conceived uh, perception of masculinity, that ironically could be effeminate. <laughs> uh, your, yeah. your pursuit of this meme of masculinity, you know? Yeah. And that, so, so it's kind of, roll all of that, and I think that's a good point, Dale, to, it's sort of into a, a question. Let's talk about decorum, you know? So like one of the, because I, I think that's gonna matter to a lot of people. I think we can all understand, and I think I think Kyle would say this as well, we can all imagine entering a space where most dudes who struggle with vulnerability are gonna be like, nope, uh, <laughs> nope, not gonna, not, not doing the thing. Uh, it's too sentimental, it's too catched in dumb phrases, it's too precious momentsy. How do you how do you build a space that that you know has a some degree of decorum? And I think decorum is in the process of shifting. Maybe that's not even the way to put it. How do you build a space that's substantive? Uh, you know, you were talking about even even the design of the space, the where you are to do it. And maybe it pings back to Dale's question and the mix of substantive and kind of uh, talking about the weather chit chat conversation how do you i guess cultivate mm -hmm. something that you know you yourself are an example you can understand what it's like to feel this way and then and then embrace something what how do you put out that fragrance i guess yeah um man there's a lot there i um you know i I think it's helpful just to, to sort of have like the rules of the game kind of laid down early on, you know, where you sort of have like an established whatever, whatever you think is, is necessary. And there, there's, there's some general principles that, that every group will kind of need to have in order to have the structure and the space available where you just sort of, you want to have you want to have like guardrails set up against the sort of normal etiquette and culture that you would normally have coming together that would lead you to sort of go off the rails when things get uncomfortable because that's literally what happens is it if it gets comfortable usually you just sort of go in a different direction if somebody feels uncomfortable with you encouraging them or if a hard question is asked about sin and that kind of thing and there's a sense in which it's just you know if you're going to get vulnerable it's going to be uncomfortable you're going into a space and so usually with these groups like what we've been doing you kind of go into it with the expectation that like yeah we're going to be sharing our stories you know and that means i'm going to share some stuff that i don't really talk about that much and 
um, that's uncomfortable and people kind of have to like get their head into that before you come there. And people are usually kind of coming in a little bit like nervous and humble. Like, I don't know what's about to happen. I don't know what these people are going to be talking about. I don't know what they're going to ask me. And there's just a sense of, of coming into a space like that where it's not an ordinary space that you would come into where you're just comfortable talking about the weather. Like we literally were like, we would say like, we're not doing that. We're not going to talk about the superficial things this time. We're going to really dedicate to uh, being really honest. And, and that could mean, I think this group is stupid and you guys are all just a bunch of sissies and you're like talking about your feelings too much and, right. and you need to be more reformed or whatever it is, you know? And that's fine. I would just respond. If somebody said that, I would just say, well, why do you feel like that? You know, like, why, why is that? You know? I mean, I've, I've had to answer questions like that. And I've had, you know, older guys just completely, you know, stump me with stuff like that. But there is a real sense in which, you know, that, that we're all, we're all quite a bit more broken than we want to acknowledge. Mm. And sometimes it just takes coming together with some space set up where we can sit down in a room together where somebody is, is leading that group to where they're responsible for keeping it on the rails. And, and they, and we can all share the agreement. Like we're not going to, we want to do this thing right now. We want to actually open up, share a little bit and then not jump in and just sort of do the back and forth. Like, well, me too. Let me tell you about my stuff. And then the next person's, Oh, well, me too. And then it just kind of dwindles versus you know somebody sharing something and people meaningfully listen and really spend time digging into that person's story where the attention can actually be on a person for a length of time in a meaningful way and there's just something about that like that was one of the things that that really got me was you know like for instance I had I had not considered myself to be somebody who dealt with shame and I would say something like well I know that the, there's lots of people that have shame stuff so it's good to talk about that but that's not really like my issue you know I have fear of man. That's my issue. And as I was sharing about my fear of man to the group that was manifesting in, in so, sort of relational discord that I would have and that kind of thing, nervousness being around people, um, one of the guys just looked up at me and was like, hey, um, you know, it, it sounds like the word I'm thinking of as you're sharing is, is you feel worthless. And I, it, it just, it, it hit me like a 10 ton of bricks because that sounded way too dramatic and weird and awkward to think about myself as feeling worthless or something like that but through through somebody else sort of putting a different vocabulary that that maybe felt just a little bit too uncomfortable and below me or something like that um i just realized man like maybe i'm not seeing myself as clearly as this person's seeing me right now and then all of a sudden i realized you know shame is something that's just sort of been on my shoulder as like the voice that i'm hearing in my head all the time and it just is the dialogue that I'm having with myself um, most of the time. Yeah. And, and I'm just completely unaware of it. You know? You're like the Hulk. I'm always ashamed. Uh <laughs> <laughs> One thing I think it's important. So I think that this conversation is very important. Mm. Um, one of the things that should be understood, I think, before you begin and I before we you begin to do this with another man or a group of men is you really do have to count the cost you have to assess the risk of what it is you're actually going to be engaged in uh, because it is risky to be vulnerable mm -hmm. um, and it's risky to be vulnerable precisely because you are giving another human being 
ammunition that could be used against you to destroy you. Mm. Um, and that has to be a very present thought. Uh, now, that should not create so much fear that you run away from a project like this. But it does need to sort of be in the air of everyone understanding what they're doing uh, and, you know, say, you know, commit that you're not going to take your the weakness of your brother because humans are so mean <laughs> sometimes. I So I run a school down here and I I watch how children try to emotionally damage the other child in little ways. Like just little like huffs and puffs when they're talking, right? Like they're doing it intentionally to hurt that child. And now I'm not saying they're totally malevolent, but it's just part of us to take weakness, spot it. And then if we are inhabited by the devil to use that weakness against that person to ruin them. Um, and you do just have to go into something like this with your eyes wide open, knowing that that is part that could be a part of what you experience. Now, if you've got a good group of godly men that have been living life together, hopefully you have a bit more confidence. So like when I, when Joe and I talk, I never think Joe is going to sort of run out on Facebook and just post all of my stuff. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he could go crazy one day and not be the Joe I know anymore. And then, you know, and then I'll have to run away. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I just draw, I draw, I want to draw attention to that because I do think it's important for people to know what it what the risk of being vulnerable means you know yeah. if i could just add something to that too so so you know any of the concerns that you could have you could almost think about it along the lines of okay well then what kind of structure or guardrail can i put up for that that might help so it's not going to eliminate that there's always going to be risk there when we're vulnerable by definition you're yeah you're right. you're stepping into a risky situation uh people can and will hurt you and i've man as a leader i've gotten just railroaded by people. Uh, but, but if there's maybe a rule, like if somebody's sharing something vulnerable, we're going to hold off on rebuking that brother or, or giving them some sort of exhortation. And this let's not do that as the first move, you know, so maybe there is a, a legitimacy that needs to be discussed later, but let's, uh, we, we followed like, uh, Paul Tripp's, um, instruments in the, the redeemer's hands uh and his sort of like movement pattern is love no speak do and so you start off by loving somebody you get to know them by asking more questions and understanding what's going on and then maybe later on in the process you begin to speak more into their life and then and then you know give them uh direction on on what to do but it's just not the first move that you make usually and usually that safeguards enough to where if you give the dumb dumb that's going to that's going to do the violent rebuke uh, immediately and, and just completely miss what's happening in that moment. And they don't recognize how vulnerable that person is, um, which I've been that person, by the way, uh, the, the mm -hmm. dumb dumb. Uh, <laughs> so, but you don't recognize what's happening and how, it, it, how it feels when you're as a grown man to share something and you're like, man, you could just crush me right now, you know, and just to have somebody, even though, even though I know they're just saying the right thing to me in that moment, just to have somebody say, man, brother, that just sounds really tough. And, and yeah, of course you probably have sin mixed in there. Sure. But man, that sounds hard. And I'm just really sorry. And it makes me sad that you're going through that right now. And it hurts me that you're, that you're hurting. I'm like, mm -hmm. thank you. Like, wow. Like, uh, 
that, that it's meaningful, you know, like it's the right thing yeah. to say. And, and yeah, like, I, you know, but, but just having somebody that's able to respond that way to you, it, it's wild how you can know and have said that to people so many times and it still is a meaningful thing. And I'm still nervous if I'm confessing something right now today, if I go and, you know, sin and confess it to somebody and that person says something sharp back to me that, that demeans me or something, it's going to hurt, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. It's fascinating to me this, um, I was just talking to Dale about this, I think in the last week that this kind of genre of the, of the, sometimes I call them like pastoral drive-by rebukes yeah. and it's, there's, there's a, and, and I, you know, I've been, I've been a cage stager as well. I, you know, I, I remember the kind of psychology of like, oh, a thing that is rebukable, I guess I'm supposed to go rebuke it, you know, and it's very kind of beep boop, you know, robot brain going on there. But what's very fascinating is now I can, again, just like you said, I've been the dum-dum too. <laughs> you can kind of step outside of it, it almost as an alien looking at just little humans in a, in a cage communicate. And you're like, that guy who, you know, uh, was born naked into this world just went up to those guys who were born naked into this world and they don't know him at all. <laughs> and he doesn't know them at all. And he just was like, thus saith the lord and then walked away and it's like that guy's just a jerk like that guy is that guy is script he's larping he's scripting himself into this like prophet role where Mm -hmm. it's like you're just a dude and like you're like and you don't that's not your awareness in a sense and that's one of the interesting things about uh it sounds i mean for me and for you it sounds like to kind of come out of that uh, involves coming to the awareness that, oh, actually all the things I'm rebuking are in me. <laughs> all, like, I, I mean, I mean, I don't want anybody staring at me that way. Cause mm-hmm. like, I deserve everything that I'm, you know, sort of, sort of mm-hmm. giving out. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. So everything that we're saying is correct. And I was also the dumb dumb as well for a very, very long time. Uh, and I felt, you know, you get the prophet complex. You're like, well, the prophets did it. They just walked around, you know, just, you know, condemning whole nations. And then you take the model of Jesus, like Jesus said this thing to these people very directly. Um, and then you take like Paul telling the Galatians to emasculate themselves. Um, and, you know, so the way that I would justify my sort of drive-by rebuke ism is by saying well look it's in the bible this is a biblical model for exhortation and calls to repentance Mm -hmm. and um i've had to really come out of that because there are also instances where jesus is like dealing with an adulteress and he gets to know her and he's trying to deal with her as a full person And Jesus's whole move towards everyone was precisely as whole people. And my move towards people in the drive-by rebuke was not dealing with them as a whole person. It was dealing with them as this particular manifestation of this sin that is obvious to me. And what does that do for them? It's not dealing with their soul and their body together. It's just like calling out an act. Uh, And that's why I think that, you know, this idea that once you get to, I love what you said there, Kyle, about sort of like, listen, you know, uh, get to know them first, 
and that really is key. If I know your story and I know that la that language, I understand how it hits certain years. It's like, oh, here it goes. But seriously, like we all are living a story. <laughs> the Bible is a story. History is a story. The man is the microcosm of the macrocosm. It's all a story of redemption. Mm -hmm. And when I know you and I know what you're going through, I know what you're the, the problems at home are, what you're dealing with children, your wife, your friendships, your work, just the whole litany of what it means to be alive. Now I can, with a scalpel, begin mm -hmm. to do work instead of just shotgun blast, you know, which yeah. is very inefficient by any metric. And so you really do have to get to the motivation. What am I trying to do when I rebuke? Mm -hmm. Am I just sort of like, running around with a shotgun going, I'm the prophet of God. <laughs> or are you really caring for people the way and that then Jesus posting about did. it on Facebook? Look at these people. I just shotgun blasted on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like, all right, yes. bro. Yeah. And I really do think, and I don't want to get into sort of diagnosing all the reasons why we're here, but like social media has not helped this. Uh, I just recorded a podcast with our good friend Shane Morris at the Colson mm -hmm. Center on Upstream about podcasts. Um, and he, ta he talked a little bit about Twitter just being a space that people go to destroy other people. <laughs> like, oh, great. Now we have Internet spaces that are just designed to hurt people. What could go wrong, civilization? Mm -hmm. um, so it's not that there's no place for rebuke. It's that what are you trying to do with rebuke are you trying to have them appreciate and come to a fuller understanding of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ and let that move the sin out or are you just trying to fill some sort of internal prophetic larpy impulse that gets Self your little it's a story you're you're scripting mm -hmm. yourself what you're really doing is imagining I belong in the story of the Covenanters. And here I am, Samuel Rutherford with my big beard right, calling right. out the, you know, the, the whatever, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And it's like, every guy thinks that about, yeah. you know, in some version, maybe one way of, of, of uh, talk about stories. Cause one of the, yeah. I, I was thinking of, um, I was telling Dale this uh, also this last week. I've been reading through Paul's epistles and Second Corinthians, especially the Corinthian correspondence, especially. And it's funny because it pings to this point Dale just made about uh, you know kind of people point to Bible passages. Pete, you know Paul's mean, so I can be mean too. But when you look at Paul, if if we're really using Paul as a model. The mm. amount of emotional exposure he gives in mm. his epistles. Hey, guys, I was thinking about coming this time, and I don't want you to think that I was not coming. Was I really wavering? Well, no, because yes and amen. And, and he, when you read through the epistles, the amount of explaining exactly my motivations, because mm. I didn't want you guys to feel this way, and I anticipate, and my favorite one, <laughs> it was actually, I laughed reading the Bible. There's this great passage, I think, in 2 Corinthians 8 that, Paul is basically coming to pick up money from the Corinthians for the for the Jerusalem. And uh, uh, and they had already promised to give him money. But Paul basically says, but I, I wanted to forewarn you that I'm going to ask you to make good on the promise when I come. And I wanted to tell you now, 
uh, because I wanted you to give me out of liberality rather than, for, you know, sort of from, you know, envy. Uh, and his really what Paul is anticipating is, uh oh, if I arrive and on the day that I get there and like, hey, guys, you told me you give me some money. I'm here to collect. Everybody's going to be like, oh, you know, and so Paul is actually anticipating yeah. their weakness <laughs> and yeah. kind of setting up the giving of them in good cheer and all that sort of thing. Uh, and there's just this enormous amount of knowing what he's working with, a kind of accommodation to the weakness, also an unveiling of his own motivations. He has the emotional intelligence of a cult leader, but he precisely avoids that because he's not a, Paul is incredibly vulnerable. He's completely non-manipulative with what he's trying to do to you and, and get your mind. One, you know, thought that maybe comes out of that is Paul, Paul is dealing with whole persons, and it's unclear to me that we can really deal with whole persons, anticipate their weaknesses, move around them, be a Jew to Jew and Greeks to Greeks, really broken down. That means I mirror Dale to Dale and Kyle to Kyle on a certain level. I, I respond to the story that is you, your relational style that's informed by your whole existence. And I try to I've tried to minister to you precisely by playing off of that. And maybe that's a, that's a very long-winded way of saying, I don't know that we can really interact with people really without knowing their stories. And so maybe it's a, this is one way of kind of throwing it over and saying, uh, what role does kind of story, like really having a sense of, uh, of your own whole life and others whole life play in that, that, the, the, that yeah. ministry to each other? Yeah, I think, and it's really interesting because I, I know that stories for like some people is like a loaded kind of postmodern, cool, you know, new Calvinist kind of mentality stuff. And, and you know, there's the whole debate with stories versus propositional truth and like the back, and it's kind of like you can get into the weeds on that. And that's not my interest at all. I think that, yes. um, you know, just, just showing the value of, of how stories can be a positive thing. I think that it's, it's, it's really a, a little more basic than that and a little more simple than some of the, the ways that it gets talked about. And it's just something as simple as like, if I was to tell you, I, I am struggling with anger uh, with my wife. Um, I could just say it abstractly as an idea, this idea of anger and, and me and my wife are fighting. And I think it was, uh, it was either Paul Tripp or David Pallison talked about, um, they were counseling some couple and it was like, like you need to get more specificity than that. And you need to like, what exactly is happening when you talk about this anger and fighting? And, and so the, the, the counselor in their mind is thinking, um, you know, oh, well, they're probably arguing or something like that. Well, they started talking about it and they're like, well, the other day we pulled out guns and we were shooting at each other across the house. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, not, not what I was anticipating, you know? Yeah. And so we have all these assumptions about what somebody, when they say lust, a man struggling with lust. Oh, well, I know exactly what he's saying when he says that he's, he's looking at porn versus he's been picking up prostitutes downtown. You know, th that's a very different reality and so how are you going to know that unless somebody sort of spells out the sort of time and place events of what's going on with more detail? That's the very thing that's vulnerable usually that we don't want to share is, hey, it was last night, time and space at 9 p.m. I pulled out my phone and browsed around some things that I shouldn't have. And and that's, you know, so that feels a lot more vulnerable. And um, but there's a value in stories like that be, or for that reason, because they're filling out the details 
of things in ways in which sort of an abstract idea is not going to really give you the picture there. And so there's a sense, I mean, it, we, we think about it too, in, in terms of how is the, the truth that I know about God abstractly, the propositional truth, why is it not sort of resonating in my heart? Well, like our imaginations are usually not caught up with it. We're not really seeing it in its fullness in a way that captures our imaginations. And usually when we sort of build out through the the revelation that God gives us in this whole story of Israel um, that is 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 interacting with God in, in time and space. And this is the way they act. And then God responds to him in a certain way. And we're like, oh, so when God says he's wrathful, that's what he means, you know, or or David sinning and Nathan coming to him and being like, this is what you did, David. This is the ugliness of what you did. It has you furious and wanting to kill this guy. And you're that guy. And it, it took a story for him to sort of draw out from David that deep resonance within his heart and soul that, that wanted to, to, to act so uh, intensely against it. So there's a sense in which as we're sharing our stories, we're sort of understanding each other better. We're, we're mm. experientially sort of relating to each other and our imaginations are caught up with all the different things are going on there that really, that really gives um, substance to the sort of abstract truth that we might you know say otherwise yeah that's interesting because even in uh in if I, <laughs> i'm adding a philosophical spin i suppose but uh, i think sometimes people have the impression that the stories are the scaffolding in the real stuff is the abstractions and it really is the reverse all of the the metaphysical and moral descriptions of these things are the scaffolding uh, 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 based upon which uh, this conversation right now between 3D, this is reality right here. Mm. People talking and living their lives and being with their wives and thinking, thinking is also part of reality, but but all of that is scaffolding, shoving this out of nothing. This is actually yeah. this place where God is communing uh, with us and, and, and in the world. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, that you're right, like, I, I kind of forget because I haven't read that stuff for a while that, yeah, stories can kind of connote this kind of uh, uh, kind of postmodern, you know, cool kids buzzword thing. But I'm so persuaded at this point that even on a class, even on sort of deep, deep historical traditional theology, uh, uh, the the significance of an individual uh, uh, of of the actual textures of life uh, yes. and living it uh, are, are precisely what needs to be stared at in order to understand the Christian life and reality. Yeah, and I think um, I think it, it I think what we're talking about, and you know, specifically with stories, when somebody knows you on a deeper register than just I say hi to Frank and we talk for ten minutes about you know our job or whatever. The reason that that is necessary or for all the reasons we're talking about, but also human beings want to be seen like they really do want to be seen. Mm -hmm. Even the even the people I have friends of mine uh, that I would consider very introverted, very withdrawn, very closed off. Um, but it's a very hard to be like that with me for long <laughs> um, because I just start saying things mm -hmm. um, and what I notice is even those very sort of withdrawn personalities, when they have a moment where they feel like you're actually seeing them, they begin to open up. Mm. Now, it might be relative to their personality, 
but it's something that's a movement away from where they were just a moment before. And they, it's because they feel seen. And I think that this is a deeply human desire. And God tells us that he sees us. Um, you know, there's something about a face. You know, you will behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, there, there's a reason for the incarnation. Um, well, there's a bunch of reasons for the incarnation. But Jesus comes and he takes on our nature to well, in one sense, to help us relate to God in a story. Um, we participate in that, and he sees us. He actually knows me through and through. And I think that this is one of the reasons earlier, Kyle, you mentioned it was very hard for you to appreciate and come to accept God's love for you. I still struggle with that. Um, I've struggled with that a lot. And I think uh, the reason is because you understand you know, we talked about this, I don't know, a couple episodes ago, Joe. Calvin talks about this reciprocity between the knowledge of yourself and the knowledge of God. And the deeper that you understand yourself, it does become harder to believe that God <laughs> loves you. Mm -hmm. um, but God loves you because, well, because of his own good pleasure, but he loves you by seeing all of you. And so on a certain sense, like I think Joe loves me and we're friends, but God loves me much more and God knows me much deeper than Joe knows me. So it's this weird thing we do. Um, but I think our uh, relationships can flourish and communities become healthy and strong and stable. That's the irony. A lot of people think you get a bunch of men in the room talking about the emotions. Stability sort of goes because they're all sort of emotionally frantic. It's quite the opposite. When people are seen and people develop strong bonds of trust, those communities are very stable. The networks are very thick. Um, and I think what we're experiencing right now in America anyway, is the, uh, the fallout of fractured relationships, isolated relation, isolated persons within mm. communities, you know, forming their own little ideological bubbles in the interwebs. Um, and that is causing the instability on some register. Yeah, we don't so, elect for vulnerability, we elect for ease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah, I think that being seen is a component here. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, sorry, uh, interestingly, I've, I've this interesting phrase that Paul says in Galatians 4, where he, he says, it's like he moves from the lesser to the greater and saying, uh, now that you have come to know God, or rather, that you are known by him. And it's yeah. interesting that that's, it, it's almost like he's saying, or maybe he is, you know, just, just flat out saying that to be known by God is the, the higher reality there. Um, and, and that should be the motivator to not turn back to legalism. And there's something about that. Well, what is, you know, what is Paul talking about there? And it's it, being known it biblically to be, to be intimately, to have the experience of that intimate saving knowledge from God to, to really have a sense. And there's, there's something about as you draw out and others draw you out before each other in vulnerability all of a sudden you, you turn back and face God and you realize, oh, wow, God's doing that with me too. 
Like, so I, the way in which I am opening myself up to become more mm. honest and vulnerable with other people, yes. God actually wants me to come to him. And as I'm opening the word in my, just my daily, you know, um, reading and everything, I should be opening myself up and being that honest with God. And there is this experiential side of intimacy with God that is meant to be cultivated that way, where I, I need to bring, God knows everything, but me experientially, I need to put that before him honestly, in order for us relationally for that to, 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 to manifest, you know, in, in my experience. And there's something that's so special about that, that as I've grown in understanding these things, I've realized, oh, wow, the the level of communion and love that God has for and wants to have with me just is the, the end that he created us for. That is the, the goal, the, the, the direction that this whole thing is heading. So if there wasn't any other battles to fight with our culture or any other things going on that we needed to do, if we had all the knowledge and everything else, like what would be left to do? Or rather like in heaven, what is, what are we going to be doing? You know? And there's a sense in which, that is the goal that we're heading toward is having fellowship with God, fellowship with each other mm. in this deep knowledge and intimacy. And that is just something that we should be pressing into now uh, as much as we can. Uh, and, and having that vision, if we, you know, there's the whole mentality of like, um, you know, you have the boundaries people who are always oriented toward the, the boundaries. And then there's the center people who are orienting toward the, the center focus and there's a sense in which we, you know, obviously we need to pay attention to the boundaries where we're getting out of line in different places. But if we lose the sense of the center, like what is the thing that we're supposed to be chasing after um, as Christians, like that will occupy us. And it will, like you were saying, it, it's not going to turn into chaos if we're all oriented toward this thing that really is that good and and enjoyable. Mm. And, uh, and then we can turn and fight the battles and stuff like that. But from a place of security and stability, that is God himself being at the center um, and us coming alongside each other to help mm. facilitate that more, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a really interesting theme I find in uh, Bavink is a, I'd love to see a paper on Bavink as the original theologian of diversity uh, who got it right before, you know, over against a lot of, you know, contemporary models. But this is one of the things he always says is the kingdom of God is full the kingdom of God is fullness. It, it's, it, it actually draws the whole profile. He, he gets very extreme. All nations, all personality types in all nations, all churches, all the things, the kingdom of God pulls it all because it pre-contains the perfections that are found mm. distributed in each. Uh, and so it, right through that, that seek first the kingdom of God, mm. yeah. <laughs> of God, the word God is the, is actually not kingdom. It's God in a sense that it's the, mm. the biggest word there. Seek that and all these things shall be added unto you. I think uh, one other thing that might be worth saying is that sometimes reticence to this can be rooted in a, a juxtaposition between the internal well-adjustedness of a leader and the lack of well-adjustedness in a lot of the sheep. And I think that the, um, if you're an internally well-adjusted person, you had a good parents and your instincts just fire well and you're kind of, you know, emotionally managed and all those sorts of things, it, 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 you know, that doesn't automatically translate uh, into helping others be that way, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, and and sometimes those two are conflated. Sometimes it's, and I'm not, I'm not trying to talk about pastors or something here. I'm just saying I think maybe the reticence can be rooted in a 
what like almost a, a lack of imagination that this could be a problem for people because it's not a problem for me and so why do we need these kinds of spaces and i think part of what that requires is just understanding hey uh, not only is this um not only is it just increasingly is it just some people that are needing this sort of thing it's actually most people uh, you know they call our yeah. generation especially among millennials are sometimes called the fatherless generation Mm-hmm. We are not a well-adjusted civilization. <laughs> we are not a firing relationally well group of people. Uh, and, and in fact, Kyle, you, you mentioned your own story. It's sort of like, and even those who think they are uh, 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 very often are, 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 are missing things about themselves. Uh, but that was a, nevertheless, I'm just trying to add maybe one component of that is literally just kind of like, a failure of imagination that needs to be corrected rather than a sinister failure of, you know, deeper love, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and the flip side of that too is true. I think in like, so for me and my wife, we're both people who, you know, whatever brokennesses that we came from are sort of hyper aware of relational things. And, 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 and so there's a sense in which some people could just be overwhelmed with a burden, a sense that this is the thing that has to happen. Everything else needs to be sidelined. And, and it, to me, it seems like what I would like to try to do is help facilitate. And this is where, again, community is so helpful. Those people who are maybe a little less aware of themselves and maybe, maybe they carry more than they realize um, are able to be in a space where there's the, the, the hyper introspective people who are always wrestling with all, all the things and, and, and just being able to sort of mutually disciple each other into a health and a balance there where we're recognizing that, hey, there's a sense in which everybody needs to be a little bit more aware of themselves and a little bit more in tune with the fact that they're carrying emotional baggage around and other people might be able to see it better than they can and disciple them into into the introspective thing but then at the same time those people can get totally lost in that and need Mm -hmm. somebody to pull them out because they always are looking at themselves like myself and i need somebody to say hey man you know you're supposed to look to jesus too every once in a while you know (laughs) and not get lost in yourself you know and it it, it's helpful to to have that sort of um you know community life where you're helping each other and, and in fact, yeah. when the, oh, sorry, Dale, you go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, and that's um, all you're basically saying is we're sinners. Jesus, uh, the wisdom of God is manifest in the body of Jesus. So really all you're saying is very basic stuff. And it's sad because I think like this basic thing has been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's that your life helps me and my life helps you and where you're strong i'm weak you help me (laughs) where i'm strong you're weak i help you but if you code the person that has a weakness that you don't share as just be more like me dude what's going on with you then you're not helping them uh that's actually and so I guess you could phrase it like this. If the wisdom of God is made manifest in the church with the different parts contributing to the strength of the body, and you're not appreciating what's happening over here with this weakness, how can you make it stronger? And if you're not in that project, that's literally the wisdom of God. What is not wisdom then? It's foolishness. It's folly. So this is just noticing that 
God has established these, the, the world this way. And we, wisdom falls into the things that God has established. And um, I think it does need to be said. And uh, the sort of gag reflex that is in some circles when it comes to this conversation, not to attribute ill motives or malevolence or something, but perhaps it's a blind spot. Perhaps it's just blinded. And I could think of many ways that the devil would like to destroy uh, the church through blind spots. Um, yeah, so like be humans to one another. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's worth, you know, reiterating for those who have that. I, I can, I can, yeah, perhaps speak of this. One of the things I, I, that is stands out to me, I guess, is that none of the things that we're talking about uh, need to be framed as things that are pursued ultimately for their own sake. Right. There's a there's a way in which human beings are always ends, and so just being seen and seeing others is an end in itself. There, there's a, there's an element of that, but the development of a of vulnerability, the development of of the the capacity to receive and give love, really, uh, uh, that that is not a thing that is just meant to develop. You know, the, the goal is not uh, to develop men who don't know how to fight. Uh, but who just have big feelings so that they can go back and whatever. It's actually yeah. training more magnanimous soldiers. Mm. It, it, again, it's you go go read Lord of the Rings. You know, it's so fascinating how the degree of emotional mutual exposure mm -hmm. <laughs> that occurs among these four little hobbits is almost embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, I didn't want to your feelings and we were worried about this. And yeah. like there's these these con when you read the book, the conversations are almost like ridiculous to you know American Mary and like that kind yeah, of masculinity. Yeah. But only in that level of mutual lifting up in their weakness, because the hobbits have a kind of strength and a weakness, uh, yeah. only in that do they actually become these courageous, uh, courageous, strong mm -hmm. characters who go actually fight a real battle. And I just, yeah. you know, we really part of what we're saying here is that the the battle that men ultimately are to fight in this world, men and women in general, but I guess we're speaking most directly to men in a sense here, um, is it's not against flesh and blood. You know, it's not that guy over there. That in some sense is a son of Adam and a daughter of Eve, even if they have communist ideas. Your first move to go back to that language Kyle used, you might have to fight them on some register, but your first move is actually, your first motive is to win them mm -hmm. because they're your brother. An idea might be my enemy, but they're not an idea. That's a person. And mm -hmm. I am not just fighting an idea. Uh, I, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to win a person. And mm -hmm. actually we need men <laughs> with yeah. all of their fortitude, with all of their burliness and beardedness to stand up and win people uh, yeah. with all of the, the, the gravitas and strength that that takes. Mm -hmm. And I think this move that you're talking, this, this, this whole conversation in a sense is that portal in a sense, through which and however it looks for you, you have to pass to gain the virtue, uh, to mm -hmm. gain the magnanimity to go to go enter that space in a way that is just so unbelievably and deeply needed right now. Yeah, Amen, brother. And and yeah, just just to um, say one more thing to that, it, it's I just there's so many different ways in which that's that's true, and I I I 
I want to like validate the concern from people that are nervous about the whole therapeutic thing in our, in our time. Mm. And, and it's just that there's a, there's a mentality that you see in people sometimes that they, they're more emotionally frail as a result of, of their going to therapy and stuff like that. Mm. And it makes you wonder, well, wait a minute, what, if the goal of this was to, to heal, why do you seem to have to do all these extra things now to cope with life? that you weren't doing before. And there's a yeah. sense in which, yeah, well, it gets worse before it gets better sometimes. But I think that there's, there needs to be the clear goal that the, that we're shooting for, for resilience. We're not shooting for sort of now, now we're going to just recognize how frail we are and we're just going to be unable to do anything um, courageous or stern or hard or difficult or, you know, embrace our weakness in a way that like a soldier, you know, and, and there's a sense in which, when you, when you consider a soldier going into battle, if they have some sort of emotional crippling to where they're easily offended by their, their brother and they're in the heat of battle and that person says something that just offends them and distracts them from what they're doing in that mission, they're not, they're a detriment at that point to what's happening. You know what I mean? So that's just, it's kind of a silly example, but you could think of some example like that, that would fit that, um, you know, where, where people, as a result of not dealing with their issues and avoiding things that might be there are, are harming other people. And potentially they are detrimental to the people around them. And, mm -hmm. and it's not strength at that point. They're, it's they're a liability at that point, you know, that's an interesting example because uh, soldiers are one of the very few places where this level of intimacy among men yeah, remains somewhat common. And it's, and it's because in fact, and in fact, that, that common mission, we're driving on a truck and we have to know we need to pull the trigger together, right? Or it's life or death. But, but that, that, that team solidarity, you know, I was never in the army, but all of my friends who are in the army often have said to me, like, you never get relationships with other men the way mm -hmm. that, because the degree of knowing somebody's story, the degree of time and mutual exposure, and it is through trial and error, you will offend each other, but then you just have to learn to be offended. <laughs> you kind of, you build thick skin, but there's a degree of mutual exposure and ultimately mutual comfort mm -hmm. that becomes almost familial. And then that actually enables you to go carry out a common mission together. And that, that, uh, uh, that's the most masculine space quote, quote, you could almost imagine. And yet to accomplish, it requires at least a, a site of cathartic mutual exposure, uh, mm, in yeah. order to, to carry out that mission. I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting relationship. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess what we're saying, um, and then we'll wrap it up, is men talk about your feelings with your male friends. That's what we're saying here. Uh, do it in a way that's smart and wise, aimed at a particular end, which is not just to do the thing for the thing itself, as Joe was saying, but to uh, to love God and love neighbor better, to be virtuous, uh, well-adjusted people, navigating a very hard tricky life um and feel okay about it that's what we're saying but i have deeply appreciated this conversation um i would like to have this conversation more um but i mean kyle and joe and i talk fairly frequently so uh joe if you've got anything now's your chance kyle anything that you want to close with all right well um 
All right, everyone, you can find us as always at the Davenant Institute YouTube channel. Uh, there you can find all of our previous episodes. We're also on Spotify, uh, iTunes, all the other podcast catchers. Um, but uh, this will be the first time I do this. But Kyle, I love you, brother. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering if you're going to do that. You slipped and said it one time. Oh, did I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do love you, bro, and keep up the good work. We appreciate it, man. Yes. And keep thinking and uh, talking and yeah, yeah, good, cool Joe. stuff. Yes, Joe, love you, brother. Love you, man. And we will see you next time. See ya. See ya.